Welcome to Wisdom Trek with Gramps. I am Guthrie Chamberlain, and we are on day 2196 of our trek. The purpose of Wisdom Trek is to create a legacy of wisdom, to seek out discernment and insights, and to boldly grow where you have chosen to grow before. Today we are starting a new extended series of messages I delivered at Putnam Congregational Church over the past couple of years. This message is week one of a nine-week series titled, What Does God Want? This series reveals that God desires us to be part of His family as His image bearers. I pray that it will be a conduit of learning and encouragement for you. All right. We're done with the book of John. After a year of looking through the good news according to the Apostle John. And today we begin a new, much shorter series. We're not going to take a year on this series. But over the next eight to nine weeks, we'll answer the question. This is the overarching theme of this series, what does God want? And throughout this series, I'll cover the entire Bible with an overview. Obviously, it has to be an overview if we're going to cover the entire Bible in eight or nine weeks to help us understand more clearly what God's story is truly all about. The last couple of messages in this series will be on the gospel, the good news, and discipleship. Much of the information will be familiar to us, but I think we'll look at it from a slightly different perspective, from the concept that you might have in your mind, an overview of God's word. As such, we'll look at various scriptures I like going through verse by verse, chapter by chapter, but this series is going to be a little bit different where we'll take various scriptures and I'll read those throughout the message. Today is just going to be an introduction to our story. So the question is, what does God want? And it sounds like a simple question, but if you really give it some thought, it's not as simple as it sounds. For starters, we must know who's asking this question. And I'll do a few different poses to get this in your mind. If I do, what does God want? You know I'm in deep agony, or I've had struggled with something major in my life, and I just don't know what God wants for my life. But if I go, what does God want? I might have some deep sadness that I'm trying to overcome in my life, something that's really troubling me. But if I go, what does God want? It would be out of curiosity and saying, I'm just not sure what God's plan is. Or I might say, as a thinker would say, what does God want? From a larger overall theological viewpoint, it's not difficult to see that depending on who's asking the question, what the answer might be. But since at this moment, I'm the one asking the question, it's easy to clear up, at least from the perspective of this series. But let me tell you what isn't motivating me. I'm not asking the question because I don't know the answer, because I do. At least from an overarching aspect of what this series is going to cover. And I know the answer for everyone. That sound might sound brash. And I've never liked pastors or preachers that says, I know the answer to what this is for everyone. But I think from the aspect of this series, you'll understand why. I know the answer, at least concerning God, 
in his response to us. And that's precisely how I'm asking it. I'm asking to help you think through some essential things. When I ask, what does God want? I'm asking, what does God want when it comes to every person in the human race? What does he want when it comes to me and my life and to you and your life? What does God want for us as the human race? And before I get to the answer, it's pretty evident that the question is from a religious perspective. Now, questions about God generally are. They fit into that folder about religion. And I've raised the question, and I'll answer it because I'm interested in God. Many people still are interested in God, even if they don't come to church. And we know in obedience, it's best for us if we fellowship with other believers. But people asking this question may not be part of a church. And I'm speaking not necessarily from a pastor's perspective, but from somebody who has invested a good amount of time studying the scriptures, studying in the Bible of what God wants for us. And since I'm asking the question, as close as possible, I want it to be a biblical answer. I want to narrow the focus a bit more, though. My goal is to explain how the Bible would answer the question, what does God want? And the answer is really simple. God wants you, and he wants me. And it might surprise you, and you may doubt, well, that's... God wants more than that. But it boils down to God wants you. You can't get the sense of how amazing that answer is to that profound question. You need some context to appreciate the love that's behind the answer that God wants you. And there's actually a long and remarkable story behind the answer. And we'll cover that in brief overview during this series. Since that's the case, and the series is about what God wants, and you know that God wants you, he wants you to know about him. He wants you to appreciate and hopefully feel the same way about God, that you desire God as God desires you. But we do need a little context. And that, of course, is the purpose of this series. We'll start with God's story. And there's a lot of tragedy in God's story. As we read his word, it's just filled with tragedy after tragedy. And you might wonder why. Why would God still want us? But none of that has changed God's thinking about us, thankfully. As we complete the series, we'll drill down at the end on the gospel, the good news and discipleship. But before we jump in, I want to have one disclaimer. I've spent much of, if you've spent much of your life in church, as most of you have, you might think you already know this story. And certainly you'll know parts of it. You'll know snapshots of scripture. But I can guarantee that we'll see during this series some surprises, some things that we just didn't grasp fully before. But unfortunately, what gets in our way most of the time is our religion. Our religion, the denominations that we have, the structure we have sometimes in church gets in the way of really knowing God's story as he wants us to know it. Sometimes that hinder us 
And it hindered the scribes and the Pharisees in Jesus' day who were more interested in setting rules and regulations instead of the spirit of the law. And it's still true today. Now, even though most of us are familiar with the Bible, I'm confident that there'll be some new insights, a new way to think about some old truths. And if you've never read your Bible very much, you'll certainly gain some knowledge during these series that God has an overriding plan for each of us, and we will all experience the thrill of discovering what God wants. Now, the overall arching story of the entire Bible is beyond what does God want, is that God wanted a family, just like Chris relayed in the children's message. God wanted a family. Think back to your earliest thoughts about God and what he wants. Was he just this big daddy in the sky? Was he the creator? Or was he just some distant power? Did you presume you knew he knew about you and everyone else in the world, but you had no idea what he was really thinking or if he was thinking about you at all or anybody else in the world? Did you ever doubt that he was there? Have you had struggles in your life where you just wonder, where is God? I just don't understand. Was he the presence in the room with you? Or was he just something distant? God is more than just a detached observer of humanity whose attention you might get once in a while, maybe when you're in trouble. Did you think God was out to get you as you were growing up? Did he mind you? Did you think he didn't even like you at times? Well, for me, as I grew up, I've always been somewhat of a trusting individual, maybe too, too much trust at times, but I grew up in a very loving home environment. So trusting God came easy for me. I had no reason to think that he was overly hostile, but as it was, I guess I, growing up, I didn't really think, was he involved in my everyday life? intimately involved, wanting to know? Or was it out of sight, out of mind? I had a lot to learn about God, and unfortunately, it wasn't until later in life, through college and out of college, when I really started getting deep into God's Word and studying it on a serious basis, that I gained a deeper understanding of God's overall plan for humanity. Since I wasn't seeking Him, I thought, well, he wasn't really seeking me either. Now, if somebody had asked, I would have probably said, God had better things to do. More important issues in the world to address in my life that had nothing really dramatic or exciting about it. I was more than the average student. I was the part that kept the top half where they were. I was not that great in sports, the little that I did. The only sport I could really participate in is wrestling because I had weight classes low enough where I could participate against people of my own size. So I didn't really think God thought too much of me and my unspectacular life. A kid growing up with nine siblings and my parents in an old farmhouse on an apple orchard. What I didn't realize that God was seeking me. 
He was seeking me, and I just didn't know it. I know that God sought me because it's his nature to seek me, and he's committed to me, and he's committed to you. How do we know these things about God? And that's a question that I'll ask more than once during this series, so look for it during the messages. But let's start with ourselves as an analogy. Now, I'm not overly gifted in crafts and arts or very many things in life. I've done reasonably well in business. But if I was like Paula, and Paula didn't actually create this quilt, but it was one that was given to us when Hazel was ill. But it's a smaller one. It's a good example. Now, if the lady who made this, or if Paula had made this, somebody came and started cutting it down and saying, ah, that's not a very nice quilt. Started demeaning her. What do you think her reaction would be, or the lady that made this? Or worse than that, what to say, oh, I actually made that quilt. It's not a quilt that you made. Our natural, natural reaction would be to sort of get riled up a little bit about it. Because we were designed to be creative beings. We were designed to care about that which we created. It's that way with our children. We create them, we teach them, we raise them, and we're invested in them. We don't like people, even if they deserve it, we don't like people cutting our kids down. We want to build them up. Naturally, we're going to feel angry or resentful when somebody mocks us or belittles us or destroys or claims ownership of something that we actually made. And that's not abnormal to feel that way. We feel that way because we are that way by default. We were created that way. We are self-aware. All of us have this inner life, this life in our mind, this life of intelligence for what we want and what pleases us. We seek out what pleases us, and generally most people in their right mind don't seek out things that cause them pain or loss. And we've inherited this by our Creator. We act intentionally, not randomly. We act with purpose in everything we do. Our rationality and our intuition guide us. Now, illustrations about this could be numerous. Even when we don't think we have much in a way of life to offer, a negligible significance, everything we do is done intentionally, guided at some point of reason. We brush our teeth because we choose what not, don't want to have cavities or bad breath. We exercise and eat right so that we'll stay healthy physically. We don't necessarily like to exercise. I don't like to get up at 5 o'clock every morning and exercise. I don't necessarily like to eat right all the time, but I do so because I want the outcome. It's purposeful decision to do so. We get up early to go to a job because we want to be able to earn a living for our family. Or maybe because it's something fun to do and we want to get up and do it. When driving on a trip, we turn to the left or to the right intentionally, at least most of the time. It's because we have a place to go. An occasion where we might do something irrational, like argue with somebody that we love over something petty and it really doesn't matter. Or maybe we spam somebody on social media and, and 
give them our opinion, even if we don't know they'll ever see it or even care. When we do something irrational, it's because we want something in return. Either we're trying to support ourselves, or we want to be superior or right in that case. Why else would we go on a diet? Why else would we exercise? Why else would we act the way we do because we have intention? We are purposeful and not purposeless. Again, the opposite of doing that, self-harm to us indicates there's something that we're not thinking clearly about. And God shares his profile. God does what he does because he enjoys what he has created. God didn't create humanity because he lacked something. He wasn't lonely, as though he was incomplete because he needed company. God needed nothing because, well, because he's God. He's all complete, all sufficient. He created things to enjoy the work of his hands. If you remember, after each day of creation, God acknowledged, he said, this was good. And after the sixth day of creation, after creating Adam and Eve, he said, this is very good. And the things he cares about most are those things that are most like him. Just like a parent would care most about their children because they are created from them or are most like them more than other things in life. And as his imagers, the Bible says that he created us. If you look at your bulletin insert on the page or side, it says, what does God want? Follow along as I read Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, the livestock and all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then he blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and all the animals that scurry along the ground. And how do we know this? Because that picture at the bottom of that page on the insert, God's letter to humankind is God's word, the Bible. It's from the creator God to the created human beings. Now, who's subject of this creation? That'd be you, and that would be me. The passage is where our story begins today. It's just an overview. Our story is the story that God wants us. It begins with the biblical idea that God is our maker. Although we can't completely comprehend it with our finite minds of how an infinite God could create us and love us and why he would do that, that doesn't change the fact that he did. We're here because God wanted us here. God doesn't act randomly. He acts with purpose. And when he created humankind, he did it on purpose for a purpose. He was still, wasn't trying to fulfill some deficiency in himself, given that all he didn't need us, but he did make us, because he chose to make us. And there's only one rational explanation of why he created us. God wanted us to exist to enjoy us, and for us to enjoy him in return. Because God created us, 
The Bible refers to him as our father and the people from Adam and Eve onward as his children. That's why the Bible uses the language of family to describe God and his relationship to us. And that's no coincidence. We are the family of God. Everyone who believes in Jesus Christ as their Savior is part of that family of God. But I might get a little ahead of myself. To understand the context of the family, this family-centered language of the Bible, we need to go back before God created the earth or human beings. It might surprise you, God wasn't alone then. And that's another reason we can be sure that he didn't create us because he was lonely. The Bible tells us that before God created us, he had already created other intelligent beings. The Bible calls them the sons of God. Does that sound familiar? That's what he refers to us as children of God. We call them angels or angelic beings. The Old Testament book of Job tells us that the sons of God shouted for joy when God laid the earth foundation. If you look at the other side of your bulletin insert, it talks about God's supernatural family. God desired to add to his family. Listen in on the conversation that God had with Job in Job chapter 38, verses 4 through 7. He says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me, if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out its surveying line? What supports its foundations? And who laid its cornerstones? The morning stars sang together and all the angels, or in other translations it says, it's translated sons of God, shouted for joy. The morning stars referred to all the angelic beings that he had created prior to creating humanity. And they shouted, they sang and shouted for joy at the creation of the earth and creation of humanity. The morning stars were those angelic beings that were already present and watching as God created humankind. And think of the phrase here, the sons of God. The same Hebrew word that can use is translated sons, it also can be translated children. And what does the phrase children of God imply? It implies a family. Children is a term that's used when you're discussing a family in a conversation. Now, in the case of Job chapter 38, verses 4 through 7, the family was his supernatural ones that he created before mankind. God is the father of these intelligent beings that he creates in an unseen realm to us. Our human eyes can't see the unseen realm that God has created. They may be all around us. They're certainly in heaven with, with God. At times, during the scriptures, they come. And more often than not, they come in human form. as some sort of human-like entity. The fact that God had already created a supernatural family helps us to understand his motivation for creating Adam and Eve. The first humans in Genesis story were Adam and Eve. And God wanted a human family. He created the earth. And he wanted a family to tend and to care and for take care of that earth that he created. Could he have put his angelic beings in charge of that? I'm sure he could. Did he need us to take care of the earth? No. But he chose because he loves us. He chose to create us in addition to that supernatural family. And the incredible story of Eden is that God wanted his two families to worship him together. 
to live together in his presence. And that means, just like the angels, the humans were originally created to fit the presence of God himself. But how do we know all that? Well, let's take a little bit of a look as we finish up today. The first book of the Bible, Genesis, begins with creation. God had done a lot of creating before he created man and woman. But the humans were in, created in his image. Nothing else that he created was created in his image, except for humankind. We have a mission because of this. Every person, no matter how small or large, how weak or strong, how short lives an infant that dies in childhood, or somebody who lives to over a hundred, we all have a purpose. We have a role to play in other people's lives. Every task, everything that we do, every act is designed to impact and encourage fellow imagers. That becomes our spiritual calling. In God's mind, the role of a pastor or minister or priest is not superior to any other calling, as I've mentioned before. How we live either blesses fellow imagers because we point them to God or it curses them, as we will learn later in our story, happen with the evil one. We're reminded to bring harmony with fellow believers and point them to God. What we do matters every single day. Never a day goes by that we don't do something important. We might say our lives is somewhat unspectacular. Nothing I do really matters, but oh, yes, it does. Everything you do matters in some manner because you're impacting other people's lives. And all of this is to answer the question, the way I did, what does God want? First of all, God wants you, and he wants me. God wants a family, and God wants coworkers to tend his creation. And that's what we'll do for eternity, as once he reestablishes his global Eden, and heaven and earth ascend and become one. We are to be co-rulers and reigners with God over what he's created. And that's no small task. God wants you, and he wants you because you have value in your life. But we're just getting started. There's much more to this story. Life in our world, perhaps, even in our home sometimes, doesn't reflect the creation that God made. It doesn't conform to God's vision. Something happened to ruin it all. And the heartache would be so great that we'll see that God almost decided to give up on his humanity. And yet he didn't, because he wanted us. He has a purpose for us. And I understand today's message is a little bit shorter, but we're at a good breaking point in the text. And we will expand on what does God want. And we know that he wants you, he wants me, he wants a family. And he wants a family even in the face of tragedy. We'll look at the tragedy of, of Eden. But we all have tragedies in our life also. 
but God still wants a family. And that will be the title of next week's message, God Still Wants a Family. So I'd ask you to read Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7 in preparation for next week's message. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you. We thank you that you created us. We thank you that you desire us. Help us, Father, to desire you. We thank you that you created us for a purpose, and that purpose is to be a family, to be co-workers with you, Father, to tend what you've created, to help others, to encourage others, to tell others of your plan, Father. We thank you for your many blessings that we have each day. And we pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I pray that this message was a blessing and a time of learning from God's Word. Thank you so much for allowing me to be your guide, your mentor, but most importantly, I am your friend, as I serve you through the Wisdom Trek podcast and journal each day. And as we take this trek of life together, let us always live abundantly, love unconditionally, listen intentionally, learn continuously, lend to others generously, lead with integrity, and leave a living legacy each day. I am Guthrie Chamberlain, reminding you to keep moving forward, enjoy your journey, and create a great day every day. See you next time for more wisdom from God's Word.